Welcome back to SideQuest, episode 28, Final Fantasy VII, episode 16, and we find ourselves on our own side quest today from the main, away from the main journey and over towards the western continent with the eastern theme, Wu Tai, and back with me, as usual, is my esteemed colleague, Mr. Wesley Shantz. Welcome back, Mr. Wesley Shantz. Hey, glad to be back. Glad to have you back. And so you were the one that first suggested this foray into Wu Tai. And so I guess uh, I, I should ask, A, uh, why'd you want to take this moment after the Temple of the Ancients to go get into Yuffie's character? B, I, said, I should thank you because I didn't have Yuffie before then. And I, I backtracked and got her. And it's so interesting. And backtracking to get her, I then started cleaning up my act a little more, right? I then went to get Beta from the Midgar Zalem, which I then tested myself against, and I could beat it, and it gave me some good experience. And I, um, what else did I do? I, I, I also, um, um, I did, I think, one other thing that I, I mentioned in text, but I can't big recall guard? it. Oh, excuse me? Getting the Big Guard? I, mean, I, I, and I asked you about getting Aqualung and Big Guard, but I, I didn't mm -hmm. yet get those. But basically, oh. I was... Uh, I, I did get Yuffie, I did get Beta, and I think I acquired some, I, I went to, oh, the other thing I did, <laughs> which I hadn't done yet, and I had I'd really been in, accruing a bill of things I should have done that I have not done while playing through this game, probably for the last time in my life, right? Uh, unless, mm. unless we teach this game many more times, in which case, not, which would be excellent, which would be excellent. But I, I hadn't talked to Zach's parents yet at Gongaga, where we started off this uh, segment from. And so I got to talk to them and just see how odd it was that inner, that exchange between them and Tifa, do you know him? Do you know him? And she's like, no, no. And it's, it's very interesting and weird. Um, uh, and so uh, I, I finally, I feel as if I am playing the game a little more diligently now. I am now taking it more seriously. I am trying to prepare for the bosses better. I'm looking into strategy using a small strategy guide, which I consider like using scholarship when you teach a book. And um, it's very helpful and you, you cannot use it, but in certain parts it will save you a lot of time, which I'm very interested in by using it. And it, it, I also find myself investing in the future, right? I use double growth uh, um, uh, weapons uh, for most of my main characters and I, I try and level up the most important materia uh, that I can as fast as possible. So an actual part of my gameplay experience is attempting to invest in the best possible things now in order to have the best possible future. And I, I was texting you about that before the show, uh, wondering if that's sort of what the major appeal is of an RPG or what the ultimate sort of gift of an RPG is, that it can help you learn to do that. But that also, that is probably why RPGs have uh, much less appeal and get worse sales, at least in America, than say uh, sports games, particularly like football ones like Madden, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't know much about the economic side of this as much as I would like to. And I think this is one of those topics we've thrown out there for, for further discussion with someone who does specialize in it, like things about um, the cultural differences, cultural history and social uh, norms surrounding these games and things like that. All of that would be really interesting to, to go into. Um, I know that 
you know, they do appeal to certain sorts of people uh, everywhere. And I think you and I are both those sorts of people. Obviously, we, we love these games, and, and yet we're very different in many ways. Um, but one thing we do have in common is that we like to read, you know, and that's like something we get into. And so that's what this game really provides it, that other sorts of games don't. And, and that goes too also to the, uh, it goes to the, the strategy guides too, because you can look up stuff about the game, get really into the lore and get into all of the, the side quests, right? These are the, the kinds of games that have those. Other games have other kinds of secrets and Easter eggs and things. Um, but a proper side quest you've got to do in an RPG. And, uh, and so that's why I, I suggested that we, uh, that we go to Wutai is looking at that. I think um, you, sh you sent me an, uh, a screenshot captured from the, uh, it's jagged or jagged.com. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's a, it's a good one to look at on your phone, I've found, because it displays really nicely and you can like scroll up and down pretty quickly and find things. And so they, they suggest like after Temple of the Ancients, this is a good time to go and do the Yuffie side quest in Wutai because you've got these um, zero materia slot weapons now, which are like useful because you're going to have all your materia stolen. And I was like, yeah, let's go on a side quest. That sounds great. And, um, and it's kind of challenging too because it's like the earliest you can, it's not the earliest you can do it, but it's the earliest you can reasonably accomplish it. Um, you know, in a, in a kind of an efficient way, I guess, like you're talking about. And so um, I thought we'd better do it sooner than later. And just to like, I think it makes a cool parallel. Maybe I brought this up last time. I don't know. Because um, you get Kate Sith who leaves your party briefly, right? Not even long enough to really notice because he gets sacrificed, chomped by the temple, and then he's back in his new avatar. And so you don't really notice that he's gone, but he is. And then right away, Eris is gone. And so now you've lost a party member. And now here, when you come to Wutai, um, Yuffie absents herself. She, she sneaks off and thieves from you. And so it's like a weird kind of parallel to, to that and to the Corneo thing. You get that kind of like replayed here, um, the Don Corneo section from Midgar, um, which in, entailed Eris and uh, Tifa and Cloud. And so this time it's Yuffie. And and one of the Turks, Elena, uh, who are the two girls. So it's it's a real interesting uh, parallel in a number of ways. I just thought we could kind of look at some of those things, um, along with obviously some uh, new places to explore and new characters to meet and so on. Yeah, I want to ask you about uh, the theme of betrayal by party members of the party and how that sort of is manifesting here, again, in the same way it has manifested with Kate Sith, and in the same way you might say, I guess, Cloud manifested it, which made Ares disappear at the Temple of the Ancients. Um, but also I wanted to ask you about something you brought up last time, which is sort of the theme of the Wutai. It has this sort of Eastern theme, this sort of Chinese-esque theme, right? And they, ha they had a sort of Buddhist-esque, Taoist-esque, water god, water serpent god, right? A snake god. And uh, one of the women who is there in the city and, you know, even the, 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 the music is drum and like sort of wind instrument, sort of flute. Uh, the, the, the makeup of the, the, uh, the um, houses is a traditional Chinese design. I wish I could say from which time period in particular, but it, it just 
they they look exactly like what they are and um and that they are they've sort of lost faith in this god ever since they lost to shinra since they lost in the war and they've gone from sort of being a powerful, noble, beautiful nation to now just sort of a, a mockery or a, an amusement. And what that meant and whether you thought that had any connection to what the game makers might be saying about their own culture in the wake of World War II. I know we've brought that up before. And again, that's another thing we'd like an expert to talk to us about. But I, I was wondering what you were seeing there and, and how that related to us not having our materia and in and whether that's supposed to represent us like not having our spirit or our soul and how Yuffie's master plan is to steal our materia in order to infuse it into her people, right? So that they can be strong again. Um, it's like she's trying to give them heart back. And so I was very interested in that as well. If yeah, that's it, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, is it has a very distinct aesthetic to it. Um, it has the the pagoda and the gong and uh, this big square that's like off in the woods kind of past the town. Um, and it's got uh, the river, the water that actually like runs through the midst of the town. Um, it's also got the huge uh, statues up in like a little mountainy mountainous area um, on the other side behind the town so it's there's a lot going on there uh, I I like the idea about the materia um, sort of representing um, Yuffie's uh, you know her pride in her hometown and her home country and culture that she's trying to steal it back because it sounds like Shinra sort of took all of the materia that had been there and so this is her kind of Robin Hood thief uh, attempt to to revive, yeah, and re regenerate, re reinvigorate her people. And that's uh, like personified in her father, right? Because he sort of just like sleeps all the time. We're told, ever since they lost, uh, he's he's really lost his confidence. Um, and she sort of like stirs him up there um, by, you know, antagonizing him. <laughs> And so there, there is a further side quest uh, that goes with this, um, where Yuffie will fight her way up the pagoda alone. I'm, I don't think she's ready, at least in my party, yet to do that. So I'm not going to try to do that one just yet. But, um, but it, again, it's an option at this point. Once you do the materia stealing thing, and successfully, then, then that op opens up that further side quest for her. So it's like, it's one of the first. Um, final pieces of a character's story. Because it's like, in very quick succession, we're getting her backstory. Like, we get to her hometown and we see her backstory and the place's backstory, the way we did for each of the other characters already. Uh, and we're also given the option to find her fourth limit break right away, which is this, this is the prize that you get for doing the pagoda. So, so it's like she very quickly gets really fleshed, fleshed out um, as, a, as a character. Um, I think that, again, goes to like her nature is like very impetuous, um, very cunning and swift, you know, uh, and, and very 
um, like playful, I guess. In, in some way, she, again, portrays that aspect of the game, which is self-referential. And um, part of that is the cultural aspect of it. But I think part of it also is her, her playfulness. She's messing with the rest of the party um, in a kind of similar way to Kate Sith. So she makes you think of the game as a game, I, I suppose. Well, uh, <laughs> even, ahead, yeah. Her, yeah, even in her betrayal of you, she's sort of childish about it. And so what she seems to represent, and she is sort of portrayed androgynously with short hair, uh, especially in her, uh, not her sprite, but her character profile, that uh, with soft features like a child, she is sort of the figure of the child or the eternal figure of hope, right? There, You have Tifa and you have Ares, but they're both sort of like romantic interest-ish or women of a certain age there. Yuffie's just like a little bit younger than they are and sort of off the radar. And so even when she betrays you, it is for this sort of like childishly hopeful reason, right? She, she, she is like a, um, a primitive form of the hero. So like the scholars say in um, Homer research that the figure of the trickster morphed into the trigger, the figure of the hero. And so that's what the transition step between like Achilles who's like a Heracles or strong figure into an Odysseus is what's happening there between those epics is the transitioning of a, a leading ideal of a people from the idea of pure strength to cunning. And so what, what Yuffie here is, is an incomplete idea of the hero, one who still has the highest hopes, but doesn't yet use means appropriate to the uh, heroic task. So what does she do? She steals something. She doesn't earn it rightfully. Um, and so you don't hate her. We or I don't personally feel a lot of enmity towards her. I feel a lot of annoyance, but again, I feel like that is like, especially as a teacher, speaking to a teacher, an emotion tied to our craft, right? When a young person does something out of line, it, it generally doesn't cause fury in you or some deep negative emotion, but rather mostly just annoyance that they stepped out of line and didn't understand what it was they were doing. And that's sort of like, what Yuffie seems to be doing with her own father here and with your heart as the player and with the, uh, the entire group. And I think that's why the group also, and I love this parallel in the game, uh, as she's giving her reasons for why she did this, they walk away without listening to her, just like you had to first do in order to acquire her as a player, which I actually recently did like an hour of gameplay ago. <laughs> yes. So that can really compress her whole story, if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Join the party, go to her hometown, she steals your materia. You, yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, so even my relationship with her is sort of childish at this, at this point. But I feel like what she, what she represents is even, so many of these figures have such dark pasts, you know, Sid and losing potential and Barrett and all that death. Uh, uh, you and God knows what's happening with you after the the Temple of the Ancients and the fact that you were in Soldier. And you know, you know, Vincent, like you have some people that have some serious wear and tear on their moral fabric, right? And Yuffie, even though she is a thief and does steal from you, it is, and I don't want to be so cliche, as if she is still stealing your heart. Like it's like she's readying, readying your heart for some great endeavor or something like that. I, I don't know, Wu Tai is so interesting a place because she is a figure of hope and yet it is itself, though it has a flowing river, a place that recalls to me Booth Rotom from Virgil's Aeneid book three, 
the place where the sort of dead, uh, futureless, but still living people from from uh, from fallen Troy have retreated to, which Aeneas sees for just a moment, where you first find um, uh, Andromache, the mother of now dead Astyanax and former wife of Hector, now married to his traitorous brother Helenus, uh, crying next to a dried up stream in the same way that Nausicaa was laughing with her maids, showing you know her wasted life as opposed to the life of promise ahead of Nausicaa. And so this this place also strikes me as a place that is that is gone already, that has lost its spirit or soul, and that Yuffie is in some way trying to rejuvenate it. Um, and and I, is that a theme we're seeing across with several of these characters that are trying to rejuvenate dying, or I don't know or to revivify dead ideas. I'm, I'm not sure, I, I'm at sort of the limit of my, my thinking on that question. I think it's a really interesting one because um, the, the, the settings that um, Barrett is associated with Antifa, uh, Midgar and Corel are both, yeah, very dark and depressed in some ways um but i think that they have a similar thing going on where there's always like children playing there still too um that seems pretty strongly uh connected with cosmo canyon in red 13's case like he is actually apparently quite young for his people so so there's this theme like even in all these places where dark things have happened in the past or are happening and even under the, the shadow of Shinra and of Sephiroth and all of that stuff, there still are these hopeful and playful images uh, that are pretty insistent. I think uh, that that's conveyed here pretty pretty well with the um, the water imagery, which recalls both Costa del Sol, another vacation spot, you know, yes. but also um, Junon Harbor, where you you saved that girl's life, um, Priscilla, right and and um, met the dolphin, which is like another image of play, right? So there's something going on there with like, yeah, the water, which makes you think about the life stream perhaps, but also just like other literal water images in the, in the game so far. Um, and the, the youth that, that the juvenation part of the word rejuvenation just means like youthfulness, right? So that, that does seem, and of course the game is marketed to young people primarily. Um, it seems to be, pitched on a level that they're gonna get into and so I think that it's it's definitely got an aspect of um, sort of channeling those things and cultivating those things and showing how they can best um, not necessarily like arise in the first place because that's sort of a mystery I guess in many ways like um, but how they can best come to fruition at least uh, it's something that um, Eris is another really interesting image of, right? She's like in a garden um, and she is a flower salesperson, right? And that's like the first thing you see of her, uh, but she uh, disappears. And so that's, you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the most 
um, unsettling parts of the game, but you're, you are prepared for it in lots of little ways with other betrayals and other losses. Well, and it is interesting to what extent the game uh, offers itself as sort of a whetstone for your own self-development and that it, it is going to require that you develop your character in order to progress within it and the characters within uh, your the game are going to take more and more responsibility for themselves and for the world, right? In fact, it will not be pos possible for Cloud to uh, save the world until he faces himself, which will be his ultimate task. In, in, at least we'll talk about what the, the final fight means, but it will be something like that. Um, but I, I mean, just sort of along those lines, I wanted to talk a little bit about having to play without materia and what you thought about that and sort of the humility that goes into that and sort of the awareness of that which you are missing and, um, and how that sort of is a model of the sort of experience of being in Wu-Tai and of trying to get it back, right? Um, and so, because it was sort of tough but, and it required a different style of play and I had to reorient my values and different tools, like you were saying earlier, became more valuable all of a sudden, tools I would have never otherwise used. And that that's sort of maybe part of the value of a side quest, that it sort of uh, disorganizes your usual way of doing things, sort of like a vacation, so that you can, uh, by putting together like a new routine or getting through a new task or challenge, uh, sort of sharpen up your ability to get through tasks or challenges so that you come back to your, your bigger ones sharper, more ready, with more experience. Um, yeah. yeah. It definitely also highlights certain things that you, yeah, otherwise wouldn't use as much, like, like items, you know. Um, as you go along, you acquire a bunch of items. I don't know. I never really use them. I usually just use materia instead. Um, but suddenly they become super important. If you want, you can start using some of those like weird items that you pick up after fights. Sometimes that like cast spells for you. Um, I sort of it takes too long to scroll through and find them, so I didn't bother using them. But they're there. Uh, yeah, I thought they were going to be a much bigger help than they were. Yeah. I didn't use them really except for once. Yeah, and I know our friend Vince had some kind of theory about grenades being really useful, <laughs> but I still haven't I haven't tried that one still, but. Anyway, like, it also brings, at least for me, the the limit breaks to the forefront, you know, because with Materia, you can sort of customize your characters to a great extent, but the thing that still remains different are, of course, their stats, which have to do with leveling up, so you can sort of balance those out too, but, but their limit breaks. Like, the ones that you use more, you're going to develop their limits faster, uh, get them to higher levels, and they can do a ton of damage. Um, when your your strength is high, like it is when you you know have no materia to lo to lower your physical strength, um, and when you have these really strong <laughs> weapons equipped that have no materia slots anyway. So so like I could do like way more damage with Cloud's limit break than than I normally can, uh, and it was crucial. It turned out to be because I would like you know also take a lot more damage because I wouldn't be able to heal as quickly and efficiently. Uh, and I wouldn't be able to end fights as quickly, you know? So, like, this, uh, 
this was a uh, yeah it really like makes you notice things that otherwise had sort of gone by uh, unremarked when it's humbling too because uh so many there were multiple times when i i thought about well i'm going to do this but oh no that's because of material like i thought okay well i'm going to get an extra hit on the boss because of my counter oh no i don't have counter material right now and i i remember thinking um let's see uh, uh, uh oh what was the other thing that i was thinking i'm sorry that I, I i'm losing it um that it was um it wasn't about curing myself oh well that was an annoying thing too right i couldn't just do cure all when uh when i was in my status screen like i usually could rather than using perishable items um but um uh so many of my actions were already predicated on the presence of materia and using of like enemy skill and curing myself and attacking all the the opponents uh and casting uh shields or barriers on myself um or having a summon to shoot at uh the the enemy that i it's like i didn't even know the characters as they were afterwards i had a totally different style of game and so it totally shook me up and i thought that was so interesting because it's almost like what suggesting what like uh, a good athletic regimen is where you you know you sort of focus on s important small parts and segments or in units sort of like with teaching right you teach the whole through teaching the parts in, in succession and so this side quest is itself sort of a part that focuses on well, what would you do if you didn't have, you know, your sophisticated strategies laid out with materia? And that's actually going to knock you back several different at several different strategy points. And how are you going to deal with that? And maybe that will help us later on if we fight, find ourselves in situations where we can't be as reliant on on materia uh, as we would like to, or or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, well, it also just gives you a sense of the richness of, like, uh, an appreciation of the of the things that you normally take for granted. I guess that's like another way of saying humility, maybe, which is kind of interesting to think about. Um, but it also, I don't know about you, but I noticed that I kept my fire materia. Did you see, did you keep yours? Or is that like some glitch that happened? Uh, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't look, but I, I just didn't even have a materia slot in the, in the battles. It was just oh, yeah. an item. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's something I need to check up on then if that was like a weird glitch or something. But, um, yeah. So for whatever reason, my fire materia was still there, but it's like sort of useless on its own. Um, cause your, your physical attacks are way stronger when you have no other materia equipped. So it's sort of like, moot actually um which is interesting to think about too like the cumulative effect of having a bunch of materia equipped is uh is pretty pronounced actually um and things like yeah counter attack and the other ones like hp plus mp plus yes. you become like very dependent on those i agree enemy skill is a huge one it's um kind of awesome if you if you go out of your way to find some of those enemy skills there they're really useful, at least early in the game here. Um, anyway, but the the way that um, the the hunt plays out, you have to also like team up with the Turks, and yeah. I thought that was kind of like an interesting 
nod to your your vulnerability in this moment that you um, have to join forces with this like sort of mortal enemy <laughs> team rocket type group um, you have to make common cause with here. Um, and I, I don't know how to exactly tie that in. I feel like there's something there um, going to the the whole question about um, Wu Tai itself, you know, that it's sort of fallen on hard times and, and has to like, uh, I don't know, do, do things that it normally wouldn't want to do, um, but which ultimately, if we're sort of following the analogy out, would ultimately make Wu Tai um, stronger if it does eventually rise back to its former glory, you know, it will be better for it. Um, which is tough. I, I don't know quite how far to go with that. Um, well, if you're articulating like the Turks. Yeah. If they're prostituting themselves, they're, Don Corneo shows up out of nowhere and tries to take two women. Yeah. Agree with your point nicely. Sorry, last thing you were saying. I, I was saying that the fact that Don, Don Corneo shows up again from the slums who is you know a known pimp uh the fact that he shows up and tries to make a prostitute of elena and yuffie it, uh, while having them crucified on the eyes of sort of a buddhist looking figure uh agrees with your point quite a bit i would say that wu tai might be itself sort of mary magdalene sort of itself out in order to become stronger in the future. Um, this is a sort of time of slavery or servitude, and it's just a time of being asleep, not a time of being dead. Uh, is, um, it, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I think that ties in really nicely. And, and it also goes to the, um, that, that iconography there of the, um, the cross and the Buddhist or whatever it is, uh, statue that seems to be the kind of combination that we've been seeing throughout this game between motifs from western and eastern mythology being kind of brought together um and in a negative light yeah there's a kind of cheapening maybe of them because they're sort of deracinated and they're mingled with things which you know strictly speaking might not really fit together that well um, but on the other hand, you could look at it, not that they're prostituting themselves or something, right. But that they're, um, like, like you, your party and the Turks, that they are making the best of a, of a bad situation. Right. And that like a, um, an outcome arises, which otherwise would have been impossible where you we're not going to prevent Don Corneo from his nefarious plans, right? But thankfully, uh, Rude does whatever he does. He's either got a some kind of projectile that like um, knocks Don Corneo down, and then uh, Reno comes over and stomps him. You know, just stomps him out. It's it's cold, um, but it's effective. It's like uh, it's like it takes cloud aback a little bit right and the rest of the party they're like oh the turks are actually like kind of a force to be reckoned with here <laughs> yeah i mean there's several things there like the fact that you're seeing the turks again at repose 
And I now think that maybe you see them at Repose here and in Junon because I don't know, you can be engaging at a side quest here. So it's like you're on vacation from the main quest and so are they. And also it's very odd that they can just sort of be so blase about seeing you right after, um, right after Singh has just died. And it seems as if Elena is blaming you, which again suggests or brings me back, if that's actually true, to the theory that maybe the Sephiroth, uh, who was acting in this semi-physical, semi-intangible way in the temple, was not Sephiroth, but was you, right? And the fact that he's got the Black Materia now, um, well, I, I don't know how, how far I can go with this sort of allegory here, but uh, it's amazing that any of the Turks can suffer your presence if they think that you killed Singh at this point or had anything to do with it. And I also just wanted to know what you thought about the fact that you see them again in repose, but then again, you see them work. And so there's, again, a parallel between them and you. They're similar in age. They have, they, you know, they kidnap, whereas you try and liberate, but you're, you're all sort of young fighters who are trying to catch Sephiroth. And you used to work for Shenra and have been affected by them. They do work for Shenra. And um, yeah, what... What, what is the significance of continuing to run into them? Is it, is it sort of the ad hoc solution between you two is supposed to represent sort of the ad hoc solution between like the meeting of the Eastern and Western mythologies and like what has to be born from that? Um, uh, and just to add to that, it's interesting that there would be sort of prostitution imagery here because at the top of the Purgatorio, that is of course what Dante claims has happened to the church and that it has been corrupted from a pristine chariot led by a griffin that is Jesus, the dual natured uh, creature, uh, uh, both human and divine, has been turned into sort of a brothel led by a king or a giant, which are French kings from the 14th century, and that beats a harlot on a wagon over and over and has had a piece torn out by a dragon, which is uh, the Muslims to Dante. Um, and so, uh, Again, whenever there's a major sort of cultural change, this sort of, I think, prostitution imagery rears its head when there's sort of a mixing, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, sort of a, a, a mixing between two traditions which would not otherwise, we, I don't know, which, which needs a bridge between them in order for I don't know. I don't know. It needs a, the proper retort in which to, to mix into something new. Um, again, I, it's hard for me to even find the words to address these sorts of concepts because it, it seems like the comment is that, um, you know, just like with nature, that which is present needs to be uh, used in order to produce the fecund future. And um, that Yuffie represents the, that sort of hope and, in, in the future and that to some extent your, your, your fusing with the Turks represents sort of the fusing of Wu-Tai with um, the, the sort of Western-esque Shinra, which is maybe the sort of theme, one of the major themes of this, this video game, which is the sort of fusing together of the mythologies and thus sort of cultures or goals of the East and West. Yeah, I think one way to look at it might be to say like the universal thing that's brought out here is um, loyalty, 
Yes. Right? Even in the face of various kinds of betrayal or like the way that Reno and Rude look down on Elena in a lot of ways, like um, you, you both, both groups want to rescue their friends from Don Corneo, right? For, because they can both agree that what he's about to do is way out of bounds. And, uh, and so he's like this, this, I don't know, scapegoat almost of the things that are negative in any culture. And the force that's brought out to, to contend with him is a version of like, I, I don't know, a, an image of that which is most um, desirable, most admirable, right? And honorable in any culture. And so it's like this kind of um, glue that by, by their aspirations brings uh, to otherwise uh, inimicable um, groups together here. And uh, the, the defeat of Corneo is pretty cool too because he again doesn't fight you like directly. He has this monster that he calls his pet. Um, and, and so you, you deal with that. That's what your party does. Whereas, again, the Turks directly fight Don Corneo after the fact, right? They sort of pick up the slack because your party is probably pretty beat up after that battle. Um, and he seems to have the upper hand. He's got some kind of device, um, but they, they neutralize him, right? And so there's, it seems to be the case that there's certain things which are going to be both um, despicable on the one hand and admirable on the other, which really uh, one way to see this too is like at the end of that, when Shinra of headquarters is getting in touch and they're like, okay, so time to go catch your um, catch cloud again. They say, okay, we'll get right on that. Right. They, they have again, allegiance to a higher, um, authority in this case than the person who's paying their paycheck or whatever. So there, there's something that they and you can both agree is like uh, noble and something that, something that is not. That's right. And even though they try not to acknowledge it and try to keep things in the same way and say, you know, we're just agreeing not to get in your way if you don't do that with us. Uh, you're right. When, when headquarters gives them the order, again, just as they're there, so they reduplicate the theme, right? In the very beginning, they said, you know, we're on break. And when Shinra even showed up, they said, we're still on break, though they do eventually help. And so they're, they're showing that, yes, they have allegiance to, like you said, a, a higher order loyalty, and that they see this loyalty being played out or mirrored in Cloud's team, and they realize that they share something very deep, it seems. And it, it's very interesting because I've never felt particularly threatened by the Turks. And now I feel as if, uh, you know, sort of like we talked about in Potter's Pockets, the relationship between Harry and Pettigrew, that Pettigrew sort of owes him one and there's something deep underlying that, that it's sort of the same now between both these groups. They both were fighting to get back one of their members who is not in high status with them right now, right? Elena is one of the newest members and talks way too much, doesn't know, doesn't know where she fits within the group yet. 
and Yuffie has just stolen all your materia. And so her status as friend is highly questionable right now, though you've sort of learned how to be betrayed at this point. Uh, Kate Seth has helped with that. Um, and so, yes, like, like you're saying, it's like you develop a friendship based on recognition of this shared deep value. And A, that's what perhaps the basis of a strong found, like relationship is. And B, it, it is interesting that it happens here during a side quest. And C, precisely because of something bad that happened to you, now something really good has come out of it, right? Um, you lost all your material, but now you have a strong relationship with like the strong arm force of the enemy. And that they're pursuing the same thing you're pursuing, which is very dangerous. And maybe that could be very helpful to you in the future. So even though you went out of your way to do this, it's actually going to be to your advantage to have been so sort of charitable, uh, I guess. Yeah. And there's like, there's certain concrete benefits to doing this too, right? Where you, you get a few new materia and like a weapon for Yuffie or whatever, but it, it does seem mostly to be about like getting to explore some other um, storylines and and characters and things like that. Um, the the imagery that that takes place up there, where the two uh, young women are held against the statue, they're they're placed over its eyes, right? Um, almost like the X's that you draw over the eyes of the picture to represent that it's dead, right? Um, they're explicitly having their arms out like that, referring to the crucifixion. They, as you say, they, they refer to the, the harlots or the prostitutes, which is another dominant image that you find in biblical stuff. And then the, um, the statue that they're up against is a, a kind of a Buddha looking thing um, and, and or some kind of Hindu deity. It's, its hands are doing maybe more of a Hinduish thing, but its face looks sort of more Buddhist. I'm not sure um, quite what they're going for there with that mixture. But anyway, it's a, it's a riot of iconography from these different religious traditions. Um, that seems to be part of Don Corneo's um, plot or something. It's like to show you that it's like him um, being as he is very uh, evil, <laughs> right? Uh, to be like very sacrilegious there, I guess. But it's, it's a lot like what we saw that weird scene going on in his, um, then the honeybee in, in the lounge, you know, back in his uh, home base in Midgar way before it, where there's like weird um, religious talk going on in a dark room and there's something about the promised land mentioned but you you don't really know anything about it yet at that point and so to me one way to take that is like the game reflecting on the way that it is also mixing all of this mythological and religious stuff and um, kind of throwing it all together and seeing what happens with it um, it seems like it's sort of acknowledging that well there is something a little bit uh, icky about that, you know, like there, there's something, and 
one way that this is talked about too is like they are using their talents and their arts, the game makers that is, to produce something that's like a commodity. You know, like they're trying to sell a lot of games and that's like the main thing that they're, they're Shinra overlords, right? They're corporate people paying their paychecks are interested in, not necessarily the quality or thematic a message or something like that. Um, so I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. It's really difficult for me to try to tease it out at this point, but um, I don't know. Did you have any other, any other thoughts or things you were noticing uh, about that, that particular? <laughs> yeah, just a couple things. So you get yeah. the cross turned upside down at the end, sort of like the yeah. anti symbol. So it goes explicitly to anti sort of Christ symbol uh symbol imagery there um but uh, yeah um what corneos <laughs> seems to be doing there is i'm sorry i dropped right out of my head wes it's as if uh yuffie came and stole my materia right at that particular moment um i, I can't believe it it's very interesting um that um <laughs> well she does like she does pop in and take Right when you find the, I think it's the MP plus is the one you find first, maybe. Yes. She like pops in and just like steals it. <laughs> that was one of the things that kind of made me laugh out loud this time as I was playing. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I agree that there's the Eastern uh, and Western tradition being mixed right there and that um, Elena and, oh, I, I was going to say that it seems as if what the game is saying is that sometimes the right thing can happen. It's as if it's the opposite from what happened in the dark night when the two loved people had to be chosen between and uh, actually like the evil villain won in that situation. Well, in this case, the evil villain tries, tries to like make a choice between the two and it's going to be the choice you wish for least because you like you a few more because she's part of your party and you end up saving both of them and actually he ends up dying which also strikes me that if it's teaching us a lesson about narrative, that if it's going to be a good narrative that represents life, that you're going to have the right thing happen, even if in to some extent it seems bad because somebody just died here, but it might've been an appropriate execution given what he was threatening to do, or at least that seems to be how we feel in this case. But that um, if sometimes the right thing happens, well, definitely it's going to be juxtaposed with the wrong things. Like when, you tried to save, you know, that entire sector of a city and you failed to, or like what's coming up at the end of this first disc too, where, where evil wins again. Um, and, and even though you're, you're fighting alongside the, you know, a, a symbol of evil here and you get a win, it is again, a temporary win. Yeah. And again, I think it's, it's interesting that, they are the ones who deliver that final blow. Like as reprehensible as he is, it'd be pretty shocking to see Corneo thrown off the cliffside by one of your party members. Yeah. Um, that would be a little too much like, you know, dying, like the scene with dying. Like that's another one that is kind of recalled here, like him falling off the cliff spread out like a cross, you know? So <laughs> this is like not the first time this sort of thing has happened, but it would be really unsettling to see um, one of your party members basically kill Corneo in cold blood there. So That's instead, it's one of the, it's yeah. one of the tricks. You know, they sort of do that instead of you having to do it. Um, there's, there's also, back in the caves there, 
there's these fires that you can't um, pass through yet. So it's like there's this suggestion, I guess, that there's certain things that your party is not is still not yet ready to to do here. Um, there's certain aspects, there's certain mysteries of this place, which you're not yet prepared to explore. Um, and you know, the kind of choice that they make here is one that you are not forced to make yet. Um, that's that's for another. I guess for another time. I don't even remember what's behind those fires. It might be significant. It might not. I can't remember now. But um, according to Jagged, you get a, a pretty nice um, weapon for Yuki. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, she is a a party member who has like definite advantages. She's her her weapons are long range, and um, she seems like pretty well balanced in in some ways. Um, she's one I haven't used yet much in this game, and so I I need to like level her up a bit before I come back and do the rest of this side quest, uh, dealing with her fighting her way up that pagoda and whatever else is going on here in Wu Tai. Um, but I I'm glad that we both scraped through this uh, weird and and fun um, materialist adventure. Uh, I had a lot of trouble with that boss. Like I almost got killed um, fighting it because it it took out a couple of my party members with arrow three, which is a a spell that you have not like seen it to this point in the game, but um, does a ton of damage. So I kind of got lucky. It like it cast it on my remaining member, which happened to be Cloud, and it missed. And Cloud's next attack killed it so it was like it was just that close to squeak by here uh for me anyway wow that, i mean that's very 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 interesting it makes me um i mean i just it's interesting that corneo has a uh, a reptile or snake sort of creature that comes at you from the depths and then now here on a mountain in the heights comes at you with sort of a, a winged creature that can cast a arrow which is like a tornado or air attack uh against you and so he sort of comes from the depths and the heights or, or you find him everywhere or something like that well yeah so this is an interesting bit about um wu tai and so for next time where is it that we should get to and i suppose we should announce that we're going to have uh at least one special guest in the next couple weeks uh so keep your your uh ears open for them listeners uh we're gonna have dr matt roos from the consilience conversations on here to talk a little bit about addiction and video games and fantasy with us and uh yeah well back to you wes to the original question <laughs> yes i think we should try to go to the forbidden city i don't know how long the forbidden city itself is but i suspect that we won't likely get through all of it so you know um, finding your way to the sleeping forest and starting to make your way towards the end of disc one. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly where the stopping point would be, but somewhere in there, I think good, we'll good. probably have enough talking about. Yeah. And perhaps at that time I can start talking a little bit about how my perspective playing this has gone more from a childish, just sitting down and trying to get through it as fast as possible and trying to get immediate satisfaction from it from more of a, 
uh, okay, I'm gonna, I've been doing this for a while, more of a middle-aged perspective. I've been doing this for a while. I intend to do this for a lot longer. You know, it's like 20 hours of gameplay now, but there are like 30 more to go. And uh, that now I'm taking the time to smooth out the rough edges. And that that's sort of uh, representative of uh, where we are at our task with the podcast too, where now it's like not the, we're not in our very first moments, but we're, we're now, we have a lot of road behind us, but we recognize there's a ton of road in front of us and that that actually changes how we play and that we play more consistently and better because of that. And we, we sort of invest more in the future and that that is sort of the ideal sort of equilibrated uh, or like excellent perspective or way of being that middle age can give to one as opposed to say young age and then uh, sort of old age once you're past being able to sort of I don't know embody a strategy to model a better future yeah I think there's a lot this game uh, can instill or or sort of bring out um, and I like that idea of it being in a kind of analogy for the podcasting and uh, and education platform stuff that we're working on. Um, yeah. It's cool, it's cool that uh, Dr. Roos is able to make an appearance on this one. Um, I, I really enjoyed your recent conversation with him and with uh, Daniel Babcock. If he's listening, I say hi to him because I that guy, I haven't talked to him in a while, but I really appreciated his uh, insights and his questions on the, the discussion of free will that you guys had. It was really interesting. Well, I, I hope he is listening. I'll definitely pass that along. And it's wonderful to hear that you're listening. I'm still enjoying very much your Game Cool books. Uh, it's making me want to read The Golden Compass and uh, go through that with you at some point. And, you know, something that the listeners can request. So a personal thing I would love to do with Wes at some point is kind of just like we're going through Whitman sort of line by line, do that with the Divine Comedy with Wes. That's sort of like, that could, could be like some super magnum opus stuff. Um, and if the listeners ever wanted to do sort of a preceptorial, we could put together eight to 10 of us and do sort of uh, our, our own sort of full way through a book. Um, that's something we're starting to put together, an idea for that. And if anybody's ever, well, if anybody would ever be interested in talking to us live about the sorts of things that we talk about, that is, I think, something that we are producing a model for right now. So, you know, keep, uh, keep your ears open. Yeah, that, you know, books, video games, it would be so cool to teach courses um, in this kind of format, um, but with live discussion and question and answer and stuff uh, on the kinds of things that we like to read and and talk about i i would look forward to that so yeah we'll we'll keep on um working towards that i suppose yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Again. okay well thank you mr west the chance until next time all right yep enjoy your thanksgiving happy thanksgiving safe travels